My name is Terrell Jermaine Starr, founder and host of Black Diplomats, the blackest, dopest foreign affairs podcast in the motherfucking world. We decolonize the foreign affairs conversation by talking to black people and other people of color, mainly black folk, especially black women of all identities and experiences. Here with us to decolonize the conversation on labor rights is Banshee Yimer. Banshee is the founder of an Ethiopian domestic worker-run NGO, Inya Linya Besedet, based in Lebanon. A former domestic worker herself, Banshee left her native Addis Ababa and worked for seven years as a domestic worker in Lebanon. As a victim with first-hand knowledge of the horrors lived by domestic workers in Lebanon, Banshi and her organization lobby for the rights, dignity, and safety of workers in Lebanon. They have currently crowdfunded over $65,000 for food distribution and have been profiled by the world's major media outlets, including CNN, BBC, and Al Jazeera. Welcome to Black Diplomats, Banshee. What's up? Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. So tell me where you're located right now. I'm in, currently, I'm in uh, Canada, Montreal. As you know, in America, we have a, a series of uprisings around the country, and that's been dominating the, the, the news and even across the world. But the work that you're doing, as far as I'm concerned, fits within that Black Lives Movement conversation. And so you're going to tell us about your organization and the work that you do. But we're going to start off with Lebanon because our, our folk are, are catching hell over there. A, a lot of the workers who you're helping there in Lebanon, they've just been abandoned by their employers, you know, stranded out in, in their embassies and they're trying to get repatriated. A lot of things going on amid COVID-19. But your organization is, is dead in the thick of it. So why don't we start? there then we'll talk more about yourself okay thank you so much again uh yeah uh, first uh, yeah i saw the news i'm really uh, it's it's hard to see that and you know uh what's going on in the united states and and you know we're really sorry as well and the same uh, times and what's going on in lebanon is uh, you know has been going on for uh, more than a decade and because of the financial crisis and the coronavirus, it's, it's, it's gets worse. But the system and the abuse it has been more than decades. So um, first, when I start, uh, for the people who don't have any idea what means kafala system or what means we call a modern modern day slavery, let me explain a, a little bit. And like one uh, domestic worker, let's say one Ethiopian, an intern to Lebanon under the Lebanese nationality, um, sorry, na Lebanese nationality, uh, you know, sponsor, once when they get, or once when we get to Lebanon, we have no right to change our sponsors. We have no right to leave the country without their permission. We have no right uh, to change uh, their names. So those three things, it, it will be um, they, the Lebanese sponsor's permission. If they are not allow us, it's going to stay that way. So we're not even, uh, even no matter we get abused, unpaid, enslaved, if they are not allow us to leave from their, that country, their country will never uh, travel home. So that's a space in a system, not just in Lebanon. Uh, there is other, uh, I think, nine countries in, in across the Middle East, they use the system. So it's, it's, the, it's pretty much they give, uh, like they legalized modern day, uh, slavery. So in the same times, there is no law or system to protect the domestic worker if they get uh, abused or uh, in anything happened to them. There is no system. So because of this, is, uh, the kafala system, the sponsor uh, take control over the control uh, whom you going going to speak, how you sleep, when you get up, if you have to talk to your family or not, if you have to send uh, your money or not. Even there is a time and there is thousands of domestic workers locked behind the, uh, you know, the door. You're not allowed even to say hello to your neighbor. So this is the situation. Yes, no one's, <laughs> not a lot of people, it's our, like, 
whenever we take case, like there is woman locked in nine years, seven years, three years, without speaking her family, without sending any money, without even seeing the sunlight, look inside, look inside the house. So this is the slavery or the system, uh, you know, I have been living and then this is what, what kind of systems exist in many, uh, you know, Middle East country. So uh, beside that, um, there is no accountability. And according to uh, Amnesty International reports, the past 15 years, no one has been held accountable. No one has been charged. Uh, no one, no one was held accountable. So it's it's like um, twice a week, uh, domestic workers and dead rate is twice a week suicide. Or in any circumstance, two domestic workers per week are dying. That's according to the government. So let me get this straight. So two, so two per week are committing two domestic workers per week are committing suicide. Yes, the majority are Ethiopian. That's in the government side. But it's, it's we say we believe it's more than that. Sometimes because last year in April, in ten days, there were five Ethiopian uh, died in different circumstances. So and and this uh, suicide and or. They it, it will happen like they will uh, the paper says two things one when she clay, uh, when she cleaned she had accidents or she killed herself because she's crazy so there is no like strong uh, investigation and or like we never find anyone guilty if we uh, think about it in Canada or state or anywhere else if you sponsor one way or another if there are reason for your society, they will be held accountable. So sometimes when we check those women files and those women are like, some of them didn't get paid for years, for months. They have been, they, they didn't, they didn't allow them to talk to their family. They're never going out or anything. So the situation inside the house make them to commit suicide, but no one is so far, no one is have been held accountable for this. This is the situation and as our organization, we used to read between seven to uh, five to seven cases before the coronavirus. When the coronavirus, uh, I mean, after the financial crisis started, it's become like 15 to 30 cases, uh, you know, over that even sometimes. And like some are having like huge problems, 10 years of slavery, five years, and nine years. They never called their family. They never traveled. They never... Um, get paid or they never even get the chance to say hello to their neighbor. This is the situation. We know that there's modern day slavery that's happening, but to actually hear you talk about it and I'm looking at you and you're telling me about this, it's still very difficult to grasp. And so what I want to take our listeners through is what's the whole circuit of how does someone get to Lebanon? Why choose, Why would an Ethiopian elect to go to Lebanon to work in the first place? So we can start off with your story or you can just speak generally. Like, I just want to get from the beginning of how uh, how so many of these women are getting, getting there because it's mostly women, right? Okay. As we know, Ethiopia is a poor country. So there's poverty and there's, you know, lack of work. There is no work. So whenever you, you see your neighbor going and making some money, maybe from 10 women, one person maybe will be successful. You want to try. Even some women, uh, you know, they understand there is a problem, but they don't know the detail. And let's say if I speak about my experience, I was in Yemen to travel somewhere in Europe. So what they offer me is I can get paid like 250 salaries. Uh, and also I can have my own cell phone. I can go to church, Lebanon's Christian country. I can have my freedom. So that's why I say, okay, if that's the case, why not? And once when I get there. So you were in Lebanon first. I was in Yemen. Oh, I'm sorry, Yemen. I'm sorry, Yemen. Yes, I was in Yemen. You know, the country situation was a bit complicated. I left from my country to Yemen. So to, to cross uh, somewhere to Europe. So I was in, in, in oh. Yemen and... So how did you, how did they identify you? I mean, where were you when this went down? Were you at an airport? Were you, where, what, how does someone spot you and say, oh, I think you can work in, in Lebanon. Did you pursue them? How, how did that work? Well, I was in the, in the place where they keep uh, us, you know, the, they, you, uh, which I travel from Ethiopia to there. So there is place. You know, they they keep us to, to travel somewhere else, yeah. and then you know those people come and offer. I say, why not? 
and yeah, that's my experience. Once when I get to Lebanon, um, they pay me, uh, they paid me like $150, no cell phone, no day off. And there's no church. What, and what, yeah, so what year was this? It was, I think, 2011, maybe, around that. So, yeah, that, that's the condition. And then, so, to, to back to Ethiopia, uh, it's, there is poverty, and then people want to work, want to make money. Uh, they come from, like, remote area, from, like, poor families. So, they sell their land, they borrow a lot of money, and, you know, what they promise to them and then the expectation and the reality is way different. And then in this, the past five years, there most of them are under age, the age between 14 to um, 18, 17. And so they carry a passport and fake passports, fake age, 26, 27, by paying, uh, you know, the people who work for the government. So from Ethiopia, if direct flight, they come to uh, directly to Beirut. Sometimes whenever the government closed, they come across to Sudan, Kenya, and sometimes Dubai and different country tra- transits. And then uh, like they will have two visa. So one to uh, travel to Dubai. From Dubai, they will uh, have another visa to get to Lebanon. But t- time to time they get to Sudan and you know, some of them they get raped. Some of them, they don't even make it. They died on the process robbed a lot of problem you know to get to lebanon even so basically you paid somebody to get from ethiopia to yemen i'm just curious like so how do you even get the type of how how do you even raise the money to even pay the person to get you to yemen well mine uh, i was you know that time i have money it wasn't you know hard but for those women again they sell their own land or borrow or sell if they are farmer and they still sell the cows and anything they have, they pay a good amount of money. Even when they get to Lebanon, the trafficker will take um, between two to three months salary even. That's, that's not even enough. Yes. They took even my three months salary. Does the, the person who hires you uh, is that person paying the trafficker or are you paying the trafficker out at once, you know, per month? Like Both sides. They will pay as well. They will pay uh, for the, tra- they paid also for the trafficker. And then also I paid uh, the trafficker in my country. And we, they call them a Lebanon recruitment agency. So they pay for those people between um, two to $3,000 they paid. And also they give away my three months salary to the recruitment agency. Wow. And so you see no money. Yes. That had to be once you got there, because you said, of course, there was no church. None of this stuff was was promised to you. And so tell me about your experience with the people who hired you to work. What was your first few days like? Well, uh, you know, I have. I changed like several house. It's not, it wasn't easy, but I, I, I'm not complaining like the other women I'm seeing, they face a lot of uh, big abuse. But I, in my two, I worked two years, uh, around three years, house to house. So in that uh, time of period, and I changed different house and I wasn't get paid for six months. They make me like, you know, the recruitment agency sent me to his family houses and he took the money and sometimes he gave me other gifts six months i work for free and then uh, one house i worked and there wasn't uh, you know enough foods and i have to spend half of my salary to feed myself and i have to get the food i have to get the water and i have to get everything i used to clean myself and so i spent and more than six months my own half of my salary my salary was 150 and i have to spend half of my salary to feed like for food and for the things i'm using and because there is there wasn't enough food and i wasn't have any bedroom i used to sleep outside in balcony it's it's closed balcony but it's outside so this balcony it's open between the kitchen and where i sleep i can I can barely hear them whenever they open the fridge, they eat, and sometimes they wash the dishes while I'm sleeping and they walk around. So, yeah, I have this kind of experience. 
So you were sleeping outside, so you didn't even have a roof over your head. I have, like, it's called, it's a balcony, but it's closed balcony with the windows. So it's, it's between the corridor and then the kitchen. There is no wall, there is no door. So it's like, you can, I, I sleep, I slept on the floor and then you can see them like walking, coming and going, opening the fridge. The fridge is near to me. Wow. Well, I mean, what stood out to me is that you didn't, they didn't even think highly enough of you to get you a bed. Mm, no, there is a couch, but they don't want me to sleep on the couch. They want me to sleep on the floor because the couch costs expensive. <laughs> and it's expensive and wow they it basically they you would be considered dirty and get wow that's 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 horrible um so how did you feel immediately after that let's say that first week that you were trapped in that situation how, how did you try to get out of it well there wasn't get out of it you know i work like this place to place and almost around three years in the end, you know, I was tired of it. And then, you know, uh, I left. But I stayed in Lebanon as undocumented for five years. Mm. And it's like I get in that country with my document, with my passports, with the visa and everything. But I ended up like undocumented. And they, they, it's, considered, it's considered as um, illegal or uh, it's a crime. So... The system is you have to stay in your sponsor house. Once when you run away from your sponsor house, no matter how, how many years, let's say you could be 10 years slave or 10 years you didn't get paid, but you will be treated less, like criminal. So once, yes, once when you run from your sponsor, sponsor house, you consider illegal and a criminal. You know, they took my passport even this day, like when, even when I left from Lebanon to Canada, I never saw my passport. I don't know where, where my passport is still. Do you think that they may use your passport illegally to bring in other people under an alias or something like that? No, the system is like when, once when you get to, uh, when you arrive in the airports, the security uh, working or the, uh, the people working in the airport they will take your passport and then they will give it to your sponsors and since then you will never uh, see your passports until you left the country if you not left yes if you stay in the country like 20 years you will never see your passport i say seven years the last time i saw my passports it was the day i arrived in lebanon so since then i never get the chance to hold my passport so they consider it that the, it's their right until uh, because they pay money for the trafficker and they pay money for to do your paper. So they think and they should keep it for uh, themselves, even as the Venice law, it's illegal to do that. But no one is holding them accountable. So I never saw my passport for seven years. Yeah, so the Lebanese government is complicit. Well, it's, it's illegal according to the law, but if you don't hold them accountable, because I mean, they know about this. Let's let's they know. They know about it. Yes. I think for a lot of people who are listening to this podcast, and especially those of us who travel, as a citizen, as a human being, when we go into a country, I could never fathom giving my passport to someone to control me under any circumstance. <laughs> okay, under any circumstance, you are a worker and you have a contract with that individual, but you, I just never thought. I can fathom somebody taking away documentation that shows who I am. As soon as that transaction uh, takes place, you're considered property and not a person. It's, it's like uh, once even when you run out, it's just like when you are staying in the house, it's like it's a prison, you know, like going to jail for two years and three months without committing any, uh, any crime. So you, 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 we were like inside the house and you know, looked and every, everything we do will be decided by our sponsors or we're living under the, our sponsors' mercy. Once when we left from the house also, it will be another open prison. So you don't have access. We don't have access for healthcare. We don't have access for a bank. We don't have access for, you know, going home or anything. So you stayed, you work from men's to men's, even the people say, I'm not going to pay you, go. So you have to go. You cannot go and complain to the cop because you're undocumented. The end of the day, if you go and complain, you go to jail. 
not them. So it's, it's like you stay in that country if you're lucky and if you get good people. I'm not saying all Lebanese people are like this, but there is a good people as well. But we're talking about what's going on and what's the majority people using the system and then to abuse a vulnerable and, you know, vulnerable woman. So um, once, uh, like, let's say even even if I talk about the racism and we are human beings, we're not allowed to rent any place. We should stay inside the house live with our sponsor or left the country. We're not allowed to rent. So the, the life we used to, I used to live outside. It was considered illegal. Consider illegal and I'm not allowed to rent any place. I'm not, I don't have access for health care. I don't have access for a bank. I don't have access for any education. I don't have access for any better job. And I cannot go out or travel to my country and without facing a jail, a jail time. So I have to be uh, in prison to go to my country. This is... Is that how a lot of people do it? They end up being in prison and then somehow they are returned to to Ethiopia? Yes, you'll get deported. Okay, wow, wow. You know, during the time you were in Lebanon and when you were working, did you have an opportunity to talk to other Ethiopian women who were in the situation you were in? Yes, once when uh, I found Nyalenya uh, in Lebanon in uh, 2017. So um, in that uh, process, I worked like one, one, one and a half years. So in that period of time, I met a lot of women who faced a lot of abuse. And so, yes, you know, there are thousands of domestic workers, not just Ethiopian, different nationality who's stuck in Lebanon. In those days, they are the one we are distributing your food because there is no way out. And so, yes, I meet many of them. But were you organizing when you were undocumented? Yes. That had to be terrifying. I know. <laughs> but I was taking risk, you know, because I cannot see. Like, my experience and also when I, and I saw an opportunity, I can do better and I can do good for my community. Especially we are the one ignored by our governments and by our uh, embassy. So I said, and I can do better and I can do, uh, I can provide something for my community. So I say, why not taking a risk? Uh, yes, but I take the risk. Yeah, oh, certain good, things good. we do, it's, it's, it's can, uh, you know, cost our life. It can put us in jail. And they can put even the woman who's uh, helping, first of all, organizing as domestic workers or as uh, uh, migrant, a migrant, it's, it's like a crime in Lebanon. Right. We're, not allowed, we're not allowed to organize, we're not allowed to be organization, we're not allowed to be group. It's, an, uh, it's broken the law. So the first of all to organize is even it's broken the law. That can put us in jail and they can you know, cause the woman to deportation. So let's start from that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah de definitely, definitely. So tell me, because you know, I'm listening to you talk, it sounds like um, this is an issue. You know, we deal with uh, undocumented uh, immigrants here in America, right? And here, for example, a lot of the tension, attention is focused on people from Mexico from Guatemala south of the border but even in America black immigrants people from the continent of Africa Ethiopia for example they also have problems here with immigration and in America it's black immigrants who are more than likely to be arrested by police officers and then be transferred over to ICE you know um the transfer you know to the feds and so and it's because we're black, because black people are racially profiled by police. So a lot of what you're saying, it just, it sounds a lot like the, not the same, but similar struggles that immigrants here in America are facing. And I've gone to your Twitter page and I see all of the work that um, your organization is doing in collaboration with people on the ground, you know, other organizations on the ground there. And, and it just it, it's I, I looked at the photos and the videos and it seems like a mess. So do you mind telling us about that? Because I'm sure a lot of people don't know what's actually happening right now as we speak. 
Okay. Well, it has been more than eight months since the financial crisis uh, happened in Lebanon. So uh, thousands of domestic workers who's living as a freelance or outside of the house lost their job. And also the one they are living inside the country and inside the house, uh, it has been long time since they get paid. This is, you know, the problem is there before even the financial crisis. A lot of uh, people didn't get paid even before that. And the physical abuse, the sexual abuse is there, the suicide is there. Now the financial crisis has added to that. And so sponsors, and some of them, they make, they are making money and still their business is gone and they have income, but they refuse to pay and making an excuse, using as an excuse the, uh, not to pay and, you know, making like, some are like really broke and their business is closed and they lost their job or they get paid half. So the Lebanese people cannot afford to pay uh, the domestic worker anymore. So, you know, it has been some, some women, the, the majority are, you know, working for free, working for food and then for a roof over their heads. And the one are living as freelance and before they used to live like three, two uh, domestic worker, not just Ethiopian, I'm talking about in general domestic workers. And in um, one apartment now, sometimes when we do distribution, because I do the interview from here, and also we are two people to do interview. So the majority, it's me. So I, when I talk to them, I found sometimes women living 21 domestic workers and in one apartment or three bedroom apartments. And some of them like uh, 14, 12, like in one room. So because they can't afford, and so, sometimes even we find them like they are about to uh, kicked out from the apartments or they kicked out already, we have to pay the rent and we have to negotiate it and then put them back or look for them another place. So it's, it's really the, the situation they are, is really bad. So, and... As you know, like, uh, you don't know, I mean, it's, 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 how can I explain thousands, hundreds of thousands of domestic workers are stuck in Lebanon, wanting to go home because they cannot, they didn't get paid and they will never pay until the situation is it's fixed and they're working for free just for food and a roof over their heads, the one they are in contract. The one they're living outside, they are like suffering with uh, no money for rent. And, and no money for foods and for uh, lack of medication as well. So people are dying from a lack of medication, our mother, like single mom even, is struggling to uh, buy a diaper or milk for uh, the, the kids. And the woman, even they have cancer or medical problem and they are struggling even to get the medication and and also, even if they have medication, they don't have money uh, to buy a food, uh, you know, which is can, um, it doesn't affect their health anymore. Let's say if I talk about anyone who has diabetes, they cannot eat the same foods, you know, they can get from anywhere else. So it's, it's, they're really struggling. In the middle of that, uh, so the Lebanese government announced any uh, Ethiopian domestic worker can go without paying any any penalty so but the ethiopian governments are doing is unbelievable one domestic worker has to pay like 680 dollars for tickets and uh, 14 to 125 dollars per day uh, for uh, 14 days for quarantine so if you don't have that you'll never like go home you have to stay by eating and then just working for free. I don't know for how long. And the same times, uh, the one they don't have any money for, to pay for ticket, they are stuck. Hundreds, hundreds of thousands of domestic workers. So and when we check their salary or anyone who doesn't know uh, about our salary, uh, we get paid between $150 to $250 per month. And then few, uh, you know, percent of people get paid more than that few. Like, let's say, we can say the ma the maximum is $500. If you get uh, lucky, if you have good sponsors, you will get paid that. But the majority domestic workers, Ethiopian domestic workers get paid between $150 to $250. And they are not getting paid 
and there is no dollar in the country. There is no dollar in the country. And the Ethiopian government expecting those vulnerable women to pay this money because most sponsors said maybe we will look for a way to pay their tickets, but we're not responsible to pay the, for the quarantine. Mm. Yeah, so the Ethiopian government willingly to let uh, their, our people to be abused and to let to sleep on the street. So the sponsor, you saw they throw them on the street. Most of them, they cannot afford for ticket because it's doubled. It used to be between 250 to $300. Now it's doubled. One, there is no dollar in the country. They are not getting paid by dollars. And two is too expensive. Three is they said we're not responsible to pay to your government for your hotel, for your, your foods, which is the right. So this is what's happening. And the embassy closed their door. They are not talking to anyone. They are not answering their phone. People are sleeping on the streets and people are uh, sold from that street and robbed, harassed, even attacked by a snake. Uh, many things is, is really going on and they are chilling, you know. I'm I'm looking at these photos, and and by the way, I'm just telling our our listeners, um, you know, I'm going to refer them to uh, a link to your uh, to to your Twitter, and so it, it's just from from your organization. It's just looking at this. I it's, I'm just opposing it towards what we're experiencing here in America. It's a different subject, but it all is a crisis and it's abuse because what I'm looking, what I'm hearing is anti-blackness. Do you mind talking about how that underpins everything that you've experienced and these women are experiencing? Well, in Lebanon, it's not just about being a black, it's all about also class. And, but the same things, when you are black, it's really worse because uh, based on my experience, uh, since I become uh, freelance, I started cleaning and uh, export imports in company and for cleaning. So I get raised as secretary. And then some customer, like they insist I should be inside the house cleaning the toilet and instead of being secretary. So it's like time, time that I, I remember uh, some guy, uh, businessman, he used to hang up on me every morning when he realized it's me. So he listened to, like, uh, he called and then I say, hello, good morning. And then he say, nothing. And he just hang up on me. And then he keep trying until Lebanese people respond to him. And then he put the complaint into for my boss. He say, she's a domestic worker and she should be in, in the house cleaning the, um, the bathroom. Why would you, like, put her in, in, in this place and let her to answer the phone? So <laughs> this is like... Um, one of my experience and one of my experience i can say the worst one because it's really hurt like and like i don't know what to say i really don't know what to say it's like i don't know black, black is a beautiful thing i don't know why he see it like you know i can do what he, he can do if i get the opportunity i can do uh, any other uh, people who hire a secretary and hire it in that place and if I get the opportunity, I can do it. But the only problem he has is I'm um, black. So even that wasn't enough. He came to the company and he put a complaint. He doesn't want, so he doesn't want me to answer when he called. What happened after that? Well, my boss said, it's except you. If you want to uh, work, uh, you know, dealing with my company or not but you know he said i'm not gonna allow to to to, to, to com you know continue this so it's your choice to hang the phone but he said no, we're not gonna move her and she will keep answering the phone so he he's a lebanese american so he wasn't accepting uh, the way I, I i was treated okay gotcha and and the rest is when you say black when if you date a lebanese man and you will never be accepted by his family. Few family will accept you. And if you have a kids, they will never accept your kids. And the racism will continue. Let's say you rent apartment where the Lebanese community live and then 
whenever you're in and out, they will tell you, ask you, how much you clean per hour? Even no matter your job is something else, it could be business person or you can do different job. So they have to ask you because you're black or you're different, you know? So whenever you wear something nicer or, you know, your hair is nicer or you do something, what they can do, it will be a big problem. So you have to keep asking and they will like stare at you a lot, you know? And then also there is a racism. There is certain place we are not allowed to in. Like what? Like swimming pool. Let's say there is sometimes a sign time to time say dog and domestic worker are not allowed to in. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Repeat that again. Okay. Time to time, some place they put like sign dog and then domestic worker are not allowed to in. So we saw it in social media. And in, uh, in certain place also, you're not allowed to swim. And yes, uh, you know, there is racism and people harass you because you're black and you're different. And, you know, the, this racism also, uh, I mean, the Asian people also face this racism, but because of I'm a black, so I have to uh, tell about my story in uh, my uh, fellow Ethiopian or African. So. Whenever you walk on the streets, because of you wore shorts, because it's really hot and in summer you have to wear shorts. So if the Lebanese woman wore two shorts, no one say anything. So if you wear shorts, so they will see you as a prostitute or they will see you, they can pay you. So because you're black and because you're different. So those kind of things, it's there. And regarding the cops, it's not, um, I cannot say it's targeted, but let's say, you work someone's house and the sponsor you run because you have been raped or unpaid or enslaved or anything happens to you. So the sponsor will take him like five minutes to call to your uh, police station, say, she stole my, my gold, she stole my money, she stole my diamond. And the, they put a complaint. So there is no like investigation. They will never ask witness and all that. So you, that complaint will, put, will stay until uh, you left the country. So at the end of the day, you have to be in, in, in prison or you have to face, uh, you know, a prison and because they say so, was not, not enough evidence because we're black and we are poor. And um, even if anything happened and you ended up in police station, they take a side of your sponsor, no matter what happened. Wow. So in your organization, you know, are there women who do date Lebanese men and they talk about the problems that they have of being of not being accepted by the man's family. Yeah, yeah, we met those women and uh, some of them even have kids, married and have kids, and they uh, separated. But as a law in Lebanon and you know, most of the Middle East country, man is in charge whenever you get divorced. They will have the custody or they are in charge, especially when you are uh, from different country to work. That's what will happen. And many domestic workers are suffering uh, by separating, but at the same time, they will never get, uh, you know, a chance without his permission to take their kids to uh, to Ethiopia to a different country. So he has to allow them, allow them. He has to sign paper. I allow her to take uh, my kids. So they are stuck there. And some of them, they are not. They don't have. They are not approved by uh, their family. And so they will never accept the kids and only will be in a, even a, in a waiting time to time. They do waiting and his family. They'll never be present. So will be a lot of Ethiopian or a lot of uh, people from different country, but his family will never show up. Does the marriage create an opportunity for legal residents for the, for the worker? Uh, you can have uh, residence under his name as a wife. And, and yeah, if you have a kid's a chance of to have a passport, but it's still like you're not allowed to. Once when you marry a Lebanese man, you're not allowed to work. You have to stay inside the house. Really? <laughs> okay, that is like, this is, it's not just about... Um, I mean, there is a lot of things that has to be changed. When I say that, like there is 
many good uh, Lebanese friend of uh, mine or supporting in our organization fight to change this. And it's not all of them, sure. but what's going on around is like what I'm telling you is what's going on around. And even in the law, like there's many things that's wrong. It has to be changed. And you know, it's, it's really backward. Like we're talking about it's, it's how can I say what happened to me in Lebanon? Even after I left Lebanon, it, it has been over a year, year and a half. Mm-hmm. I cannot even sleep three to five hours without, you know, waking like between three to five times, sometimes eight times. Trauma. And then I cannot sleep even the lights, it's an off. The light should be on. So imagine mine is the minimum. What will happen to a woman who's been exposed for uh, sexual abuse and physical abuse? What will happen to them? It's not just affect us when we are in Lebanon. Even when we are out of Lebanon, also it's really hard to start over. It's really hard, and you know, it's taking your life. And people didn't realize it. Like sometimes, uh, it broke my heart. One Filipino woman. She was kept as a slave for 10 years. And her kids didn't know, like they are about to forget who she is because they are not allowing her to call and to communicate with her family. And she's not sending money. It's, this is not just one person, thousands of domestic workers, this happened to them. Even they left, let's say one year, uh, you know, years old daughter, and then they traveled to Lebanon. They going back home after 10 years without speaking, their daughter, and she will not know who she is. They didn't realize it yet and how they are destroying family life and kids' life even. I'm, I'm, listening. I'm, I'm hearing you talk about the, the challenges you have with sleep. So have you seen someone, a therapist or a mental health professional to help you work through all the things that you experienced? Well, I'm too busy. A lot of work. I tried, but it's just me. I didn't get a chance, you know, to think about myself because always a lot's going on. And then, you know, I giving priority and my giving my time the people who need it the most. But someday I will. Well, I'm I'm thinking about you because I what I find with activists and you know women like yourself who put all this work in that's a common response. I need to devote my energy to people who need help more than I do. I just hope you don't forget about yourself. I mean, true. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's, it's like, I, I'm always busy, to be honest. I never like, I know like maybe someday I, I might do that. But now it's again, like, I don't have even time to breathe. So all I have to do is give me my time someone who needed it the most. Yeah. So how was your life in Montreal? Well, normal. <laughs> so most of the time I'm working and, you know, still I didn't make any new friends and I couldn't keep up with my school. I quit my education because it's, so busy and, and you know, I have to choose one because as in Yalenya, we receive cases and we need someone and who take a responsibility at least every day, five to, uh, you know, eight hours the maximum and less than, you know, five hours a day. So we, we, we can't afford to hire someone. All of us, we have 46 members. All of us are volunteers, uh, volunteers. So I have to take that responsibility. So that's why I start my education and I have to give, uh, you know, time for my organization. I work my other work and the second works. And so. So what were you pursuing? A master's degree, a bachelor's degree, PhD? What were you doing? Actually, I was taking uh, English class. Uh, you know, I was excited to go law school. So before I do that, you know, I have to, uh, you know, take a class, English class. That was what I was doing, and you know, I stopped because I have again. I have to. I have a lot of phone calls to answer, and I have to choose one. I I, I have to be like I want to be a you know, lawyer, and I want 
I want when I give back to my country or Lebanon, I want to do more with my knowledge as well. But you know, you can't have it all. I have to choose one. And then I choose to help my people. So I'm happy and I will never regret it. So if you don't mind telling me, what was the immigration process like to get from Lebanon and what made you decide to go there? Or what were your, you know, were other countries an option? Was America an option for you? Well, it's, it's really hard to get a visa. It's really hard to get a visa in a different country. And Lebanon was easy. All you have to do is willing to go and pay. And you can, like, you can get it from Ethiopia to Lebanon 15 to one month, 15 days to one month, sometimes two months. But and, and to get to the United States it's, or here, it's so hard, the process, and you need a lot of money, you need sponsor, if it's work, you have to have higher education or you have to, if you go to school, you need scholarship or paying your own education. So it's not easy. So Middle East is pretty much, it's easy. Got you. And so tell me what you think about the Black Lives Matter movement here in America. And it's been started, it was started by three black women here in the United States. One of them is a, a very good friend of mine, Opal. And that their movement, which started in Ferguson in 2014, has gone across the world. So tell me how you feel that movement founded by those three black women uh, have impacted you? First, I have a big respect and they are uh, inspiring women as a woman and as a black uh, to, uh, to start this movement and to inspire all over uh, uh, the people all over the world. And, and we are uh, with you and no matter where we are and, and this is also our struggle. Really proud of you for all hard work and the, the all sacrifice you're making, and and keep the fight, keep the protests because we will. Uh, you are our hope in the future, and this is a hope for all Black community living all over the world and all Black community who suffer all over the world. What does the final picture of your work? When you feel like you've achieved the goals of uh, in your mission, what does that look like for you? I would say, and um, we're successful when it's over. When they are approached the kafala system, the system should be removed. And if the system will not removed, we will continue suffering. And as African, we had enough, so we should stay home and then be creative. And the corrupt African uh, governments they should keep us in home and then learn from the, uh, the past. And then so they should, you know, be, they should be responsible for their own citizen. And then instead of, you know, exporting like 14 and 15 years old, uh, I can say kids, and instead of exporting uh, kids to the Middle East to be slave, they should keep them in, in the country. They should keep them in a school. They should keep them in, in a safe and home. And I would say when the kafala system, the one they are an adult or like the one they want to come to travel to work in Lebanon, and they should um, the kafala system should abolished because it's modern day slavery. It takes people life, it causes misery to other people. It will never go away. Your your pain, what you experience, and what you've been through will never go away. It's not easy even to start over. So should abolished and we should be treated as a human being and we should we deserve to be respected so if this system states will never be respected will never be treated as a human being will never be um uh, it will never be stopped abused so this is what i can say is once when we achieve abolition the kafala system and i will say okay this is successful the second things when i stop when i my citizen, especially Ethiopian, stop going to Lebanon, and any African country also stop going to the Middle East to be slave. That time, I would say, okay, problem is solved and was successful. Excellent. So, tell uh, our listeners about your organization and ways that we can support you. <laughs> okay, our organization uh, it's found two thousand seventy and. Uh, 
only me, um, former domestic workers, but the rest of the group, uh, the women are, uh, all of them are domestic workers. And all of us are women and strong women who've been experienced a lot of uh, different abuse, but we gather and together and invest our own money, our time and our knowledge to help not just Ethiopian. We help all nationality and, you know, uh, over 12 nationality domestic workers in Lebanon, the majority are African. And, and as anyone, like what we are doing is before the crisis stopped, we used to give workshops, training skills, so the women shouldn't, and uh, after they work two years, they shouldn't come back to Lebanon and be slave again. So we want them to start small business. So we used to give this training. We used to empower women and we used to, um, empower women so they can make a decision by themselves and we used to motivate also activists and that was what that was what we were doing and this time because of the crisis what we're doing is we uh, did a campaign and we uh, gather over 65,000 Canadian dollars for food and also we have individual donors and we gather over um, 80,000 dollars Canadian dollars in general so we are what we're doing is distributing your food home to home for the people who need it and for the kids, the one who has medical problems. And the, again, the majority are African. And um, so we are helping between 30 to 100 family a day. And sometimes, uh, you know, anyway, anyone who really want to help us, they can go to uh, our GoFundMe and can help. Also, we are uh, putting a campaign to send the uh, domestic worker there over 100 to send them home. We are gathering money for tickets. Anyone who wants to provide on that will be happy by buying any ticket they can. So to send those women who's been sleeping on the street to Ethiopia. So we have, yeah, that's what we have. And, and also anyone who wants to contribute anyways and activism advice and anything will be happy Panchi, i just wanted to tell you thank you very much not only thank you for giving me your time today particularly on such short notice i just want to tell you that i appreciate you thank you so much as well thank you so much for giving me this opportunity at the end, uh, you know, I would love to thank my girls. They are so strong women. As you see, they are carrying, they are like doing a lot of things and, you know, carrying like um, yeah, a man, you know, the foods and packing, distributing without any, any other people help. So I have no word to thank them and the people who stand, you know, to make this happen, donate and everything. And thanks to you as well for having me. Banshee Yemer, the founder of the Ethiopian domestic worker-run Inya Linya Besedet. All of the links to Banshee's organization will be left in the show notes. And I support you. I will support you from what I can do here in the United States and promoting your work and helping trying to get people to contribute and so I'm I'm grateful to have this experience with you and so the pleasure is 100% mine thank you so much thank you so much